Hi, Good morning. Hi. Hi, fine. Thanks. It's great to finally meet you, even if it's virtually. Likewise. I've heard great things and I'm excited to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah. When I envisioned the Mastering CS, Candid Leader Insights, this is how the series is called. I picture it just like this, a casual chat between professionals, almost as we were having a cup of coffee. Yep. And relaxed and real. So this is all, this is all about. Great. All, all good. And we can go, uh, we can go ahead. Great. Uh, so to kickstart our uh, discussion and speaking about journeys. I want to ask you, if you had to capture your journey into a CS leadership in just three words, what would they be? Completely by accident would be the phrase I use. I, I certainly did not set out in my career to necessarily become a leader that works with CS. I mean, I think growing up, I wanted to be a firefighter or something more common like that. So my journey to this has certainly been by accident, but a delightful one. Speaking of, speaking of beginnings and by all means, when I was little, I wanted this to be a guest. I, this was my desired job because everybody was treated nice and we had uh, cool kids. So that was yep. my desired job. I want to be a guest. But speaking of beginnings, this year, my daughter transitioned to a new kindergarten and there was a mix of excitement, eagerness, and a little bit of unknown for her. And I was thinking that it's kind of like the journey of a new CSM. And reflecting on that, either from your experience or someone you've observed, who you've been working with, what do you think should be the initial focus for a new CSM in their 30 days? The, the, the most important thing for a CSM, and this is, I think, true for every person joining a company, is to learn the space, learn the product, learn how it works, learn how your customers think about it. A lot of the more tactical stuff of when do we do EBRs and how do we think about Outreach, right? Like there's all the, the mechanical things that those can come with time. You can teach somebody how to do those things or when to click the button. But that mindset and that curiosity of do I want to learn about how this all works and like why, why do we as a company exist? If I'm a CSM in my first 30 days, that's the question I'm ultimately going to try to answer. And it's one where the journey is the destination. I don't know that you're necessarily going to find one single answer to that question, but just trying to immerse yourself in what the product is that you sell or what the thing is that you do, the sooner you build an appreciation for that as a foundation, everything else starts to be easier because you have a strong uh, background to build on. Moving past that first month, as they inch towards the 60-day mark, what's the next big step or shift you believe they should focus on? I would start to say that's when you think about, okay, starting to engage the customers that you are serving and, and your book of business or, or the role you're going to be doing more on an execution day-to-day -day level, starting to understand who your customers are, right? And what are what's the context? Like how are each of them using the product or your solution in different ways? And there's probably going to be some overlap and some, some themes and trends that you can pull out, which is great. And a lot of them might have like, edge cases or or some extra history that trying to learn how to empathize and catch up to where they are in the relationship relative to your company, that will serve you well too. It is not, I don't think it's a expectation that 
customers will have that you're going to know the ins and outs and, and you're going to be totally caught up on the relationship in the first 60 days or, or even six months. But showing that you care and showing that you're trying to figure out everything that's gotten you to the point and them to the point that they're at, the sooner you try to understand that once you have that foundational knowledge of what you do, right? How is someone using it and how, how have they gotten here? To me, that's step two, right? And then you start to build more, okay, more confidence and be more comfortable with starting to add value to them. But I think you have to learn where they are and how they got there. You mentioned step two. So now I'm going to ask you also the step three, because uh, I want to provide our audience a 30, 60, 90 days uh, blend. Hence the, uh, hence the questions. So when we are reaching the uh, 90th day, uh, what's the, what milestones or accomplishments would they be looking uh, for to make sure that they are on track and uh, they are moving the needle for the business that they were hired, uh, hired in? Starting to do, I'd say that that's where the training wheels should start to come off. In that third month, maybe they're actually having customer-facing calls themselves, or maybe they are starting to look proactively and listen, oh, we have a new feature coming out that I'm hearing about in marketing. Oh, I think this customer might benefit from it. So getting those gears turning and, and you know, spending the first couple months like catching up to present day. But I'd say 60 to 90 days, that's in that third month where you, you'd hope to start to see the gears turning forward, seeing them execute on some things by themselves and, and just a more really start to settle into what the role is going to look like. The thing that I feel separates like good CSMs from great CSMs in that time is, again, are they starting to connect dots and look at other things happening in the business and almost interpreting and inferring, oh, I think this might solve a problem that you know one of my customers has. People who can start to be on offense and, and are comfortable kind of looking for what comes next, to me, that's, that's a sign of someone who's really ramping quickly. And if it takes someone a little bit longer to get there, that's, that's reasonable too. But that, that hunger has to be there. And by that third month, it should be pretty clear if somebody's comfortable and, and going to be comfortable serving the customers they are in the space that they're in. I somehow always found that sometimes the biggest growth comes from those little hiccups where misconceptions we have early on. Are there any common ones you've noticed CSMs might have in this initial initial phase? Yeah, the, there is all of the internal document uh, documentation, your CRM, right? There might be a written down history or, or a narration of like, why a customer came to you and why they picked you over someone else. And that information may be accurate to the time, but if that customer has been with you for two years, right, their business has changed, their use cases have changed, the people using the tool have probably changed. So it is important to lean on all of the documentation and all of the, the stuff that tells the story that exists before you get there. And keep an open mind and actively listen to your customers to try to understand, read between the lines of maybe what's changed since then, or have there been assumptions that others in the business have made about, oh, they're really just looking to solve X, but maybe you hear them mention Y or Z. So it is certainly a good to spend your time doing your homework on the things that are written down and that you know, and 
have some of that extra space and keep an open mind to the things that you can hear about your customers because you have a fresh set of eyes and a fresh perspective that frankly, no one else in your company has, which is a great advantage. So being able to listen and, and actively kind of shape your own story a little bit and understand your own color and flavor on how you think about your customers and what they're doing. That's something where if a great CSM pushes themselves to be more open-minded like that, you, you see that payoff. You, you mentioned the, earlier about uh, a lot of documentation. And uh, I know that every time when you start in a new company, there's um, a lot of information that you need to absorb. And I often find myself overwhelmed of the information. How do you, how do you prioritize? Even in the role of a CSM, which from my perspective, he is in the central of everything. And he has multiple stakeholders that he needs to serve. From where do you start in your first three months? Yeah, the, the, the first place I'd start is in the product. The sooner you build that product knowledge and that, that just underpinning appreciation for what it is, what you do, all that. To me, the sooner you build that, the better. And the, and the more that that compounds and pays off and every other day that, that goes by. So I would start with, I, I want to be in the product. And if I'm a new CSM, I want to really learn how this product works. I want to learn what doesn't work about it and just try to immerse myself in this tool so that when I go to talk to anybody, I actually can empathize a bit more with the things that they're trying to get done. Once I have that foundational product knowledge, I do think getting the okay, what's the story we're telling here? What's the narrative? What's from a product marketing side or from a sales side, like help, help, help a new CSM kind of immerse themselves in that story because then anything they do and talk to customers about, you can start to view it through that lens. Okay, I get they're using the tool in this way, but the problem they're really trying to solve is this other thing, right? That may be hard to quantify, maybe more of an emotional pain. So foundational, like, learn how to use the product, technical knowledge, then more of the storytelling piece is kind of the is the part two. And then part three, like that's when I'm probably going more into like the CRM or looking at the onboarding tools that are using so I can really learn my specific book of business. But if you if you try to learn that too fast, and you just start saying, okay, customer X is doing this and customer Y is doing that, you know, they're renewing next month, like you, you can, you can get by with that stuff. But that's pretty surface level. There's really this deeper appreciation that starting with how do I use this tool? How do I think about this story in this company? Doing those two things first and then spending time in your CRM or really learning the the tactical piece of what you're doing. To me, that's that's a that's a good way to ramp. It's very interesting because usually there are a lot of articles that say CSM should align with sales. And based on the, based on the talk that you made, the way I read it is first is product, then it's a combination of product marketing. And last but not least, it's okay. Now that I understand, now it's the moment in which I go deeper into the handover between sales and, and customer success. And a very interesting talk you made. Yeah. Might be a little bit of a, con- I don't know, controversial, but. That's probably not the most common way to do it. I just have found across all of the companies that I've joined in any capacity, some of the ones where I've been the most successful, the ones where I spent the most time learning the product and learning the positioning and the story first. And I know there have been cases, and speaking from my own experience, where I rushed into like, okay, I just want to go do the job and create value and 
do all of the the tactical things that were on the job description, right? And I, I, I have found sometimes when I go too fast into that, like I want to deliver value bucket, I miss out on some foundational things that eventually you can learn, but it, it's some stuff where if you go into a customer call and you don't really know the product, right? Like it can be uncomfortable and you quickly, I think, get found out in the sense of, okay, maybe this person really doesn't know what they're talking about. And so to build that trust, I have found in, in the roles and the teams I've built that start with the basics, right? Start with the the what and the who and the why. Um, even if it takes a little bit longer to like really ramp to full, you know, to like a full in seat up and running role, it it's it's worth it. Listening, hearing you but speaking, I, I just envision a title. Even Rome was built. Even Rome was not built in one day. So yep. I think the 30, 60, 90 days or allocating at least three months to know all the nitty-gritty details will basically pay off medium and long term. We often rush into proving to our bosses, to our colleagues that uh, we were the right person and we usually neglect, I would say, this this part. Yeah. And actually, besides this, I... I want to remain on the learning path, but I want to ask you, besides what we discussed, um, do you think that there's one thing or maybe more things that even experienced CSMs might sometimes miss or not give enough attention to? Similar with what we just discussed, that we often rush into let's prove that we were a good hire and we don't allocate enough time to settle settle in. Besides that, any other misconceptions or things that we missed? There, as you get settled into a role and you're, let's say you're a CSM and you've been around for a couple of years now, like you get the story and you get, you get the who. And one thing I have sometimes seen is particularly in a, in a scale up or a fast moving company where there's a lot more of the product being built, you might've started and when you started, right, the footprint of the product was X or the market you were in was was pretty defined. And as strategically those things shift and evolve, which is good, right? That's a healthy sign. Some CSMs go, yeah, yeah, I already did. Like, I did the upfront work. I, I, you know, first couple months, I spent time going slow to go fast. And and I feel there is this, this like constant growth mindset that really serves CSMs well. And it can be easy to kind of fall into that trap of like, okay, I know what I know. I don't really need to learn anything new right now. I need to just execute on what I'm already doing. So I'd say being more curious and being just always looking around at what new features are coming out and how how is sales talking about this product and just being being more of an anthropologist within your company. I do think for a great CSM, that's the differentiator, right? There's a lot of CSMs within your company or in other companies who and can go through the motions and do the basic stuff well, but the people who are really curious to find how the dots connect and constantly push themselves to find other parts of the business to talk to or to find um, other ways to learn from their peers, those are the people that I generally think do much better in the long term. And it's a it's a tough muscle to build. It certainly is not in anyone's job description. Like it, it's hard to to start building that muscle and build that mindset. But if you can cultivate it as a CSM, I think you'll be in a much better place. And that's more on an internal side. One other thing for CSMs on an external side is like, what else is going on in the space? Your product does not exist in a vacuum. Your solution is not the only one. 
You look at the MarTech map, right? There's 11,000 MarTech tools this year alone. So you're not the main character of your customer story. And for some CSMs and honestly, founders and anyone else, that's tough to hear. And so what I would say is figure out how you as a company exist in the landscape relative to everything else. What are your competitors doing? How can you look a little bit externally to follow what they're up to and see, are they are they talking about things differently? Are they starting to do some stuff different that might be relevant to the conversations you have with your customers? Or not even competitors, but just other tools in the landscape that you know your customers might be using. Let's say you sell a marketing performance attribution reporting tool. That's great. Okay, if something happens to the CRM tool that your customer is using, even if you're not selling a CRM or competing in that space, if something happens to that tool, that might have a second order impact on you. And so for CSNs, being able to look internally to be curious, but bringing that same curiosity externally as well. I'm saying what else is kind of happening in this space and finding ways to share that internally and share that with customers. That's the stuff, again, that shows you care and goes the extra mile, especially in a world where SaaS products in particular are pretty commoditized, like this SaaS tool for everything. And there's a bunch of SaaS tools for everything. So the, the software itself, yes, you have cool bells and whistles and features, but that can't be the, the thing that really differentiates you long-term. There's the old expression of, we don't remember what people say, we remember how uh, they made us feel. And so I think that's true from a CSM side, is if you can differentiate yourself on that white glove, really VIP experience, that's the kind of thing that, again, you might have to push yourself to get to as a CSM. And if you do that, it, the, the score works itself out. I want to ask you, what do you feel about mistakes? Because uh, usually everyone is afraid of mistakes and uh, we don't take the good sides out of it. In in my case, uh, I usually were the best lessons I've learned were from mistakes. So I'm not afraid of actually uh, mistaken or failed in some cases. What's your, what's your point on this? What's your experience with mistakes in general? Mistakes with clients in CS, in general, in business. Yeah, you learn or you miss the lesson. That's the way I put it. And and I didn't say you win or you miss the lesson, right? You learn or you miss the lesson. I try to find something in, in everything I do, the, the highs, the lows, the times things went great, the times I botched something, there's, there's always a, a lesson there to take forward. So I would say as a CS leader or as a, yeah, honestly, any leader within a company, creating that space where it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to screw something up, right? If you don't mess something up, you're frankly not trying enough. Growth teams will talk about experiments and uh, a good growth team only succeeds with their experiments 30% of the time. So 70% of the time, it didn't go the way they thought it would. That doesn't mean that experiment teams are bad or growth teams are bad. It means you're trying stuff and learning. So from the CS side, that applies just as much. It's okay and it's good to try new things. And so long as you have a, a feedback loop with yourself for that for that learning mindset and you have good coaching and good mentors and leaders and there's a great culture around, hey, we're all doing our best. We're all doing our best and that's the best we can do. And we're going to make mistakes and we're going to learn and move forward. Creating that type of atmosphere will move a business faster, right? You might go two steps forward and take one step back. 
But on the flip side, if it's a culture where people are scared and it's rigid, and if I make one mistake, like that's it, you're not going to take two steps forward. You might only take one step forward. So there's certainly this, how do you build a culture where over the long term you do better or things move faster and you learn a lot quicker, having that, having that mindset and that, that framework of like, it's all right that things will go wrong. It's not if things go wrong, it's when they go wrong and, and when we make mistakes. So I certainly welcome and cherish when people are willing to try something and it's something that inherently is outside their comfort zone. And sometimes it doesn't go the way we had hoped. The, the, the framework I also try to give is let's not make the same mistake twice, right? So like I have messed up an uncountable amount of things over my career. I try not to make those same mistakes twice. I try to take the lesson from everything that went well, it didn't go well, and bring that forward. And if you if you try to improve little bits at a time and one one lesson at a time, again, that compounds. And so trying to create an atmosphere in which other CSMs and people in your company feel that same psychological safety and sense of trust, those are the teams that win. Very good advice. Very, very good. I'm often, I'm comparing this with uh, the CSM job of actually the job of the parents who are basically raising the, raising the kids and okay, trying to, trying to basically help them develop, accepting that they are making mistakes. Let them make mistakes because this is how they are actually developing and, and growing. Learning how to think, right? Exactly. Exactly. Learning how to, learning how to think. The, I feel that the CS word and not necessarily actually the word in which we are living is constantly changing and developing and it's a fast moving thing around, uh, around us. How do we, uh, how do we make sure that we stay up to date with everything that comes up with the trends, with the tools, with, with everything? How do we make sure that we aren't losing trends, momentums? What's your recommendations for, for CSMs that are actually entering, but mm, not necessarily, maybe also for the uh, leaders themselves? Learning to separate the signal from the noise is a very helpful skill. And it is only a skill I feel you can develop and, and hone and refine after you go through it a bunch, right? So I remember early in my career, I would hear about like a new competitor or a uh, new technology and you just run a hundred miles an hour. You drop what you're doing and you fire drill and go right towards whatever that new shiny thing is. And oftentimes there's something to be learned there and there's like, oh, okay, that's a cool technology, right? But eventually like trends are trends and fads are fads. And so eventually if you spend way too much time on the shiny new thing, you can lose competencies or, or like lose some of the proficiency you have in the core stuff that made you really good in the first place. Now, every time and every trend that you're a part of and every cycle you go through where that's the hot new thing, it, it gets easier to hone and refine your own core as to what really matters and what's like, oh, that's cool, but that's not really going to impact us for a couple of years or, okay, look, I don't think this technology you know, NFTs probably don't make any sense for me to spend a lot of time on. And and that is a, that's a gut sense that just takes time to refine. So it's certainly, I think the being curious, being an anthropologist, just being on the lookout for like, what, what is coming next? What are people talking about? Both within your company, within your team, even just within your industry, right? That is all very good and valid to just be curious about what's going on. And again, there's internal ways to try to 
learn more and then there's external stuff. So both are important. Um, trying not to be, try not to drown yourself as a CSM in all that new stuff. To your point, there is so much happening. If you look on Product Hunt on any given day, right, there's dozens of new tools that could do X and, and solve for Y and that's all well and good. Learning to really tighten your blinders on like, okay, there's a lot of cool stuff out there that's worth a little bit of my time. What are the few things that are really worth a lot of my time? And leaning on other people to help validate some of those things. Yes, you might think generative AI, you know, right now that's the hot tool. I personally think that's a really long-term sustainable trend versus more of like a trendy, flashy thing that's going to fade away. But that doesn't mean that I unilaterally I'm going to drop what I'm doing and just go work on that, right? I'm probably going to be talking to other departments and other customers and really try to like figure out what my perspective on that is more long-term. And I think CSM, it's not all up to you to decide what's the trend that, you know, you should drop everything and run towards. It's good to keep your ears open. It's good to listen and through the conversations and through the osmosis of, of what you're doing in your job you eventually will start to pattern match and find those trends. And it's okay, especially early in in your role or in your career, you may not have that intuition, that sense yet. And that's all right. That's where you should be. But to be self-aware of it and to say, okay, this trend, wow, that really made me excited. Just knowing that you're going to go through those motions and knowing that stuff's going to evolve and new releases from your competitors are going to scare you. Like knowing that that's what to expect means that every time it happens, it feels less scary because you have more of a, of a framework to fall back on and more of that intuition that you build. So it's one of those stay the course, remain curious, and things work out. Being on the topic of, I would say, challenges, what do you, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges that CSMs do face on their day-to-day -day jobs in the, in the current ecosystem that they are acting? One of the hardest things for CSMs is trying to give every customer special love, right? Every customer is different. They don't have one-size-fits-all problems. They are in different geographies and different industries and, and like everything is different, right? The one thing they might have in common is that they're paying you for a tool or a solution. And uh, and as a CSM, knowing like, okay, how do I prioritize who to reach out to? How do I come up with what to say? That prioritization can be tough, especially as CS, CSMs are getting generally asked to do more. The ratio of customers to CSMs, like, I, I feel like that is increasing. And there's definitely automation and, and stuff that's helping augment and make that a little bit easier for CSMs. And in general, they're being asked to do more. And so knowing how to prioritize and knowing how to not get overwhelmed of, okay, I have all these customers and a bunch of them might be on fire and, and I don't know who to talk to first. That's a challenge. And that's a challenge, I think, in general, and especially for CSMs where the problems you need to solve are might be wildly different, right? So it's context switching and it's learning different skills on the fly, which is a struggle for any human. And especially for a CSM, who's, you're inheriting a bunch of relationships that you know, aren't net new, right? They've been around and they have expectations. So that's a, a definitely a big challenge. I think that prioritization, what I would say is a way to start working through that is finding what are the signals. So are there certain, let's say like flags within a usage, you, a customer's usage of your tool, right? If they're doing X, good. And if they're not doing X, okay, those are the people that we really want to think about 
talking to to see if we can help them get more value. So trying to find what are some of the quantitative ways to sort and stack stuff a little bit, and then still having, I'd say, still having that that latitude to interpret and say, okay, like, yeah, I got five customers who maybe aren't using this feature this month, but when I really drill into it, I think this one's the most important. It's it's like jazz, right? It's structured enough that there's foundations and infrastructure there, yet there is still a creative art to it that gives gives you latitude to try stuff out and really put your own special human spin on it. I feel like it's like, and you mentioned jazz. I have a metaphor with uh, with dance. I feel like when working with clients, it's a balancing act between expectations and reality. And do you have any recommendation on how to keep that fine balance in in between? Transparency and communication. Like I have yet to find something that works as well as being honest and being open and and just talking, which is so funny. We live in this world where, you know, it's all of these new shiny technologies and we're going to the moon and we built AI like that all that's awesome. All that stuff is awesome. I've yet to find anything that helps me as much in my career as talking to people and being open and being empathetic. So it's really the things that separate good CSMs from great CSMs doesn't cost any money. And that's kind of this like, it's way simpler than than I think we make it out to be. Being honest with customers, hey, this is what's in the roadmap. This is what I know. I'm still working through this thing. You know, here's the steps I've taken to escalate it. Because there's so much asymmetry of what's happening between the company and the customer, right? As a as the company, you know that devs looking into that bug and that this feature is on the way or, or like, you know, all that stuff. You also generally know how your customer is using the tool. But if you put yourself in your customer's shoes, like they know you, they don't know your development team. They don't know that your CEO is really excited about this new thing. And so there's a lot of asymmetry and the best way to break down those barriers is just to be as transparent as you can and and communicate as best you can and not assume that your customer is going to know any of this internal stuff because there's no way that they can. Again, you're not the main character of their story and that's that's totally fine. So don't assume that your customer is going to have read every blog post and knows all of the industry trends as deeply as you do. If you can be the the messenger to help communicate that stuff and and translate it and break it down and say, here's what it means for you. Here's what I can do for you. Being open like that and talking like that adds a lot of value and frankly, builds a lot of trust, which for a CSM is probably the most important thing you can do. And it doesn't cost any money to do that. Even with all the communication in the world and even with the trust that you are trying to build, there are situations in which... The CSM and the client are like water and oil. That's simply the way the way it is. How do you overcome those situations? We're not necessarily how do you overcome it. What do you do when basically everything is not working? There's an exercise I like to do, and it it works well when you're in person with a colleague or with a customer, just someone that you, you find you're you're just not on the same page with, and. Rather than sit across from them at a table, I like to sit side by side with them and, and to look at a whiteboard or an imaginary point on the wall and say, it's us versus the problem. Oftentimes it feels very adversarial and very confrontational of, okay, it's a zero sum game. And it's easy to fall into those 
those traps and that mindset and, and almost that if you're a customer, like you're trying to compete with your CSM or you're trying to like get something out of them. And I, I understand why that mindset exists. I don't think that's the way it has to be. And so really trying to orient in our relationship, hey, it's us versus this problem, right? You want to solve for X. I want to help you solve for X. Let's find some common ground and find things that we have in common. And I think generally, if you start there and can really spend whatever time it takes to build that core and that shared understanding and shared respect, the other problems may not get solved, but it certainly will be easier to navigate them when there's at least a shared, okay, I might be annoyed this feature's taken a while to come, but I really trust that this person's doing everything they can. I find, again, that goes back to the communication piece and just trying to calibrate and listen openly does go a long way and and to frame it as it's not me versus you, it's us versus the problem. I found that an effective way to kind of reboot and reset relationships where maybe it hasn't gone off to the start we had hoped, or maybe it's not trending the way we had hoped. You can't do that every single time something goes wrong. But I do think that's a card that CSMs can have up their sleeve of like, look, let's reboot. Let's rethink about this from a fresh perspective. And, you know, let's let's start over. I think there is there's a power in a in saying that and just saying, hey, I think we should start over. I think we should rewind a little bit. I find generally people, particularly in a business context where the incentive should align, are open to that. And sometimes we just need someone to say it to get us out of this very rigid, callous business shell. And remember, we're people. And I find, especially in a CSM role, that works more often than not. We started the we started the discussion about the collaboration and about teams. We've been talking about the way we interact. I want to zoom in into building customer success teams. And I want to ask you, when you are building your team, when you are recruiting, what are the what are the most important things, the most important traits you are looking that are non-negotiables? Uh, if it's not this, most probably it's not a hire. What are your things? Yeah. The things I look for are things that are really hard to communicate on paper. And that's tricky in a world where this certification, that software tool, it's great, but like anybody can learn any tool in my mind. And so it's the intangibles. It's a growth mindset, right? Is this somebody who likes to learn things? Is this somebody who is curious about stuff? Being coachable and saying, hey, you know, like I recognize I am a mere mortal human doing my best and there are going to be things I need to work on. Um, trying to look for people who, again, are just curious. Like to me, those are the types of intangibles that really go a long way. People with an ownership mindset and a mentality of they're a CSM, right? And they should have the same perspective and the same investment or interest in the company as the founders, like people who have those types of intangible skills and that that mindset. To me, those are the people that I like to hire and I, I see do well because you can teach someone how to click the buttons. You can teach someone how to say it in a certain way, but you, you can't teach people to care. And so finding people who are learn-it-alls and they really like to try new things and are, are comfortable being on this journey of, of growth and self-discovery and, and want to succeed. It's those things where if you have those, come work for me, come work with me. And if you don't have those, I, I think inherently you, you'll hit a ceiling. And that's not to say people can't do their job well and punch in and punch out. I'm not advocating for 
you know, a grind mentality that's unsustainable. But if that internal passion is not there, I think you can only go so far. I like to find the people who have that hunger and just want to be good and want to go on a great journey because we'll go there together. Now I have to ask you, how do you test this in an interview, in a discussion? Because that's the difficult part. As, and I'm asking genuinely as a hiring manager, how do you test this out? The growth mentality, the attitude. Yeah, I ask a lot of questions and I try to elicit stories from people because the storytelling, I think it's easy to phone in like, oh, I'm prepared for the one line answer of, you know, what's what's your biggest weakness, right? Like, it's too easy, I think, as a candidate to, to like anticipate some of those questions and come up with like the really captured one line response. Like, there's a place for that. I try to spend more time understanding, okay, tell me about a time when X or like, how do you think about blah? Or what was the last new thing you learned? right? Tell me about the last time you changed your mind on something and why. I try to ask these questions that, again, are really hard to capture with bullet points on a resume or in a LinkedIn profile. And I try to just ask open-ended questions that give me insight into the person's mind. The thing is, they're not trick questions. They're not loaded questions. I don't necessarily like, there's not one specific answer that's like the right answer. But it's more the way in which they approach answering that question there. If you see the gears turning in their head or you see them get excited about what they're talking about or even just feeling comfortable, I think that body language and that, I don't know, you just you can feel that sense when you have a good conversation and it's on, you know, it's on the hiring manager to know ahead of time, okay, what are the things I'd like to hear and the types of approaches I might want to hear? Um, because that way, when you go into that conversation with a candidate, it, it can be more open-ended and just more, have more flow to it. There's certainly tangible technical things you might want to test them on or understand, Hey, have you worked in X industry and like totally valid? I do try to well, know what my really, really tactical, tangible, quantifiable things are, make sure those competencies are there. And I spend most of the time just trying to understand who this person is, especially if you're trying to hire for someone that you hope can grow and be around for a long time and be on the journey with you for a big chapter of their career, you got to know that the long-term mindset is there. Solving for things short-term and can you do this job today? That's important. Can you do what this job could be over the next couple of years? To me, those are the more important perspectives to understand. One more thing in regards to the team, because you, you mentioned about how to, you mentioned about how to recruit. I am recently watching uh, Formula One Drive right, to Survive, and I noticed the importance of keeping the team united and basically create that cohesion and have that tone of balancing and everything. How do you how do you make sure that your team is driving towards the same the same objective and not working one against each other, which I saw it a lot in Formula One teams. You know, I have yet to get into F1 as much as I should. And so I, I, I think that's next on my list. And maybe we can, we can talk more about, you know, all the good, all the good racing stuff there. What I generally will do, and this I actually, I'd say is a newer appreciation for me is the storytelling component. The stories we tell internally and the way as leaders, we articulate and, and surmise and distill what's happening and our pulse on the company or the industry or whatever the challenge of the month might be. 
the ability to tell one story that a team can get behind and rally behind as humans inherently we like storytelling and we do really well we we are really receptive as creatures to stories being told and it's easy for us to let stuff kind of like seep into our brains and then we internalize stories really well so i try to find the right times to tell those stories okay if there's a big release coming out what's the narrative right what's the hero's journey as to why this thing is happening and leave it open-ended enough that again people can interpret it and and bring it into their own work and understand for themselves how it is going to impact them overall though finding the storytelling that's one thing leaders across industries and across uh disciplines right don't do enough is telling that story there's a lot of okay i i wrote a google doc and like that's that's great that's one artifact but that's not compelling that's not emotional that doesn't get people to believe and trust and all of those deeply rooted things that inherently you need as a leader to really get anywhere. So I would say I've started to find more of an appreciation for that storytelling and say, okay, yes, there's a lot of stuff going on. And if you have one-on-one conversations with your team or other people in the business, you get part of the story, but that, that comes at the risk of that game of telephone where everyone's heard different things and there may not be a shared truth and a shared perspective of like, how are we doing? What do we got to focus on this month? And so that's, I feel your role as a leader is to give clarity for that stuff and to storytell and find a way to articulate it's us versus this problem. Again, that seems to work pretty well. And if you can create what's the enemy, maybe the enemy is the competitor you're trying to beat out on deals or the enemy is the economy is a little tough right now and, and you got to help customers through it. Just finding what that story is and learning how to tell it in an authentic way, that will do more to build cohesion and unity with your teams than any pizza party or any, you know, any token gesture. I feel it's the giving people purpose that that pays off. That that really does. I want to remain on the same on that tone and wrap up our conversation with your favorite quote, book, or even a mentor in the CS world that basically guided you. What would that what would that be? It doesn't need to be end, it can be work. So quote, book, yeah. or CS leader that you inspired. A quote that I take with me a lot, and I at the start of the pandemic and the start of COVID, I said it pretty ironically. I would say every day is a gift. And I would say it as kind of like a throwaway thing and just say, you know, this sucks, we're all in it together. Every day is a gift. And I'd say it pretty ironically. And lo and behold, I said it long enough, I started to actually believe it. And so I find this philosophy to be true in my professional life, in my personal life, like every day is a gift. Every day is a chance to learn something and to get better in some way, particularly in a CS environment where you always need to be learning and there's always things that are going to go right and go wrong. And frankly, a lot of it's not really within your control. You're kind of at the mercy of, of the winds and the tides. And as a CSM who's sitting between all that stuff, it's easy for your ship to be kind of blown around in the sea. So what I try to do is come back and say, okay, every day is a gift. Let me focus on what I can control and let me learn to separate things that are external that are happening to me. And then how do I respond to those things? And trying to keep that mindset has really helped me in all facets of my life because a lot of stuff's not something you can change necessarily but you can always change how you respond to it. 
And to me, it always comes back to this. Every day is a gift. Be grateful that there's another opportunity to learn something and to get better in some way. And maybe that way is through adversity and a challenge. But if you get through it, you're going to be better off for it. So that's a that's a mindset that started off ironically and I started saying it sarcastically and uh, for better and worse, it has uh, really seeped into my brain and and I got to say it's changed my life. So um, never thought I'd, I'd be one of those rosy one-liner optimist people, but here we are and uh, I think I'm better for it. That's awesome. And your quote actually reminded me of something that I've learned uh, a few years back. I was in Miami at the conference. We are sitting at the hotel. We're waiting for the taxi to go and uh, install the booth and everything. And we were talking with one of the people working at the hotel and he was saying the following thing, every day above the ground is a great day. So, and it stuck to me and we repeated it. And now it basically your goals reminded me of, reminded me of that. Yeah. And in that note, I want to say thank you for taking the time to discuss with me. It was indeed a, a pleasure and definitely will keep and stay in touch. I'm grateful that I, uh, that I met you and we had this conversation. Thank Thank you you very much. Until next time. Until next time. Bye, Con. Bye.